If you have your copy of the scriptures, let me encourage you to turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. We'll be back in those verses again today. If you're using a copy of the, or if you're using, excuse me, one of the Pew Bibles, you will find Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40, on page 651. Now, I will say, as you're turning to Psalm 119, or you're thinking about following along, you'll notice that verses 33 through 40 are printed inside your bulletin, and you can follow along there, and that's great. However, I'll warn you ahead of time that we are not going to be in that section exclusively. We're going to be all over Psalm 119 this morning, okay? So you will profit, I think, if you'll have a copy of the Bible open there in front of you, whether one of those few Bibles, your own copy of the Scriptures, or you're looking along with someone else. You can just, if you're not familiar with the Scriptures and you're not, you're not certain you want to use one of those Bibles and you're not certain where Psalm 119 is, just look at the Turn that Bible, look at the spine, split it about in half and open it up, and you'll land in Psalm and look for the big number 119, and you'll get there. Psalm 119. One other thing, statistics. I, I appreciated Gary providing the background that he, he provided. Statistics are hard to comprehend and visualize. They're easy for us to pass by. That number, 0.01%. Let's put that in context, because that's that's low. How low is that? If my math is correct, if, we're talking about, if, we, if we were talking about the city of Reynoldsburg, and we were talking about 0.01% of the city of Reynoldsburg being believers, we're talking about three or four believers in all of Reynoldsburg. That's the kind of desperate need we're talking about. That's why we send funds to support workers overseas because there is a desperate need for the gospel around the world. This is why we want to send people to reach the unreached. Continue to be in prayer for how you might participate in this important offering. This morning as we come back to Psalm 119, I have a confession to make. And the confession is this, I had, in planning out what January sermons were going to look like, I had intended that this morning we would be back in Psalm 119. So no, no diversion there. However, however, we are taking a bit of a diversion and in, an important one that I hope will be clear by the time we're done. And here's what I mean. If you were with us last week... Our focus out of Psalm 119 and out of these verses was on pray the word and using Psalm 119 in this past week, especially verses 33 through 40, to help us pray Scripture back to God. And notice, following the pattern of the psalmist, notice particularly just in verse 33, how he prays, teach me O Lord, the way of your statutes. He prays, and he makes a promise, doesn't he? What is the promise as he prays? God, if you will teach me your statutes, I will do them. I will keep them. 
I need you to teach me, and I want to keep your word. So my intent this morning was that after last Sunday, pray the word, this morning we would look at doing the word. But that we're going to hold off until next week. Because there is a critical observation that we need to make even before we think about, especially before we think about doing the Word and what it is to do the Word. Follow along as I read Psalm 119, 33-40, and then I'll explain this critical observation that we need to make. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness give me life. Friends, as we follow the psalmist's example here and we pray God's word back to him, as we hear his example and consider the call to do God's word, friends, it is essential. It is essential that we remember the one to whom we pray and whose word we are to do. We must remember the Lord in all of this. We must know the Lord and know who He is and not take it for granted that we know Him, that we know His character. When we pray, we need to know the One to whom we are praying. When we are committing to do His word, we need to know the One to whom we are making a commitment. So, in order to see this appeal to remember the Lord that I think rings out, at least by example, throughout this entire psalm, two things for us to consider, and really two questions for us to answer this morning. First is, why remember? Why remember the Lord? I've said that it's important, but why? Why is it important that we remember the Lord as we pray, as we make a commitment to do His Word? And then secondly, who is the Lord of Psalm 119? Who is the Lord of Psalm 119? The Lord to whom this psalmist prays from beginning to end of this lengthy psalm. First, why remember? Why remember? Why remember? Why think about? Why consider who the Lord is? Well, in part, we can say because ideas have consequences. And what we think about God matters. It has been said that the most important thing about us is what comes into our mind when we think of God and who He is. If you don't think ideas have consequences? Ask those who have lived, just for example, we can take all kinds of examples, but ask those who have lived or who are living under communist regimes. Ideas have 
consequences. Our idea, our understanding about who God is has consequences. In our day and age, it has been said that the predominant view of God, the predominant understanding of who God is, can be encapsulated in a three-word phrase. You've heard this before, but it's important that we go back to it again this morning. A three-word phrase, moralistic, therapeutic, deism. If you were to summarize the contemporary view of God, it has been suggested by researcher Christian Smith and others that the common view of God prevalent in our day and age can be summarized in these three words, moralistic, therapeutic, deism. What does this mean? Well, Let's take those three words. This idea, moralistic therapeutic deism, really can be understood if we think about relationships. In fact, three types of relationships. The the word moralistic has to do with our relationships with one another. So that in moralistic therapeutic deism, there is a belief, Christian Smith writes, that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. So when people think about God, what is God like? He is a God who wants people to be moral, moralistic, in their relationships with one another. But also, there is the relationship with ourselves reflected in this title. Moralistic, therapeutic therapeutic. What does God want according to the popular view of the age? The central goal of life and God's desire for us in our life is to be happy and to feel good about ourselves. So we're to be moral with one another. We're to feel good and be happy about ourself. There's a third word, deism. This has to do with our relationship with God. And here, the popular notion is that there is a God, but He's not active. He is not present in our lives. He wants us to be good in our relationships to one another. He wants us to be happy and have self-confidence, but He's really not involved unless there is a problem. My goal this morning is not to debunk moralistic therapeutic deism. We could spend a lot of time talking just about those three categories. But here's my point in bringing this up today. Friend, if that is your view and my view of God as we approach Psalm 119, then we will run into a number of problems. Because... As the psalmist prays, he does not have in mind a God who can be encapsulated by us being just, his his wanting us to be good to one another. There's a right place for that, for us to be good and just and fair with one another. There's an appropriate place for that. There is an appropriate place for God in his desires for us to be happy, 
rightly understood and happiness found in the right place. But deism, God is involved. And if we come to Psalm 119 with some sort of conception of God from a moralistic, therapeutic, deistic framework, Psalm 119 won't make sense And we will not be motivated to pray Psalm 119 or the Scriptures to God. And we will not be encouraged or guided to do Psalm 119. We will be guided in a very different direction. It is important that as we approach Psalm 119 and all of Scriptures, that we have a proper view of who God is is so who is the lord of psalm 119 now lest there be any confusion when i say the god of psalm 119 the god of psalm 119 is not a different god than the god of psalm 118 the god of psalm 119 is not a different god than the god of psalm 120 or of Genesis 1, or of Revelation 3 and 5 and 20 and following. No, the God of Psalm 119 is the God of the Bible. But what I want us to see this morning is, as this psalmist models for us, praying to God. To whom is he praying? Who is he remembering as he prays? Because he does. As he prays, he remembers. He remembers much about who God is. We could, there are a variety of ways that we actually could get at this question. Who is, and who is the God of Psalm 119, and who does the psalmist understand God to be? We could get at this question by looking at all of those things that the psalmist asks God to do. Over 70 times throughout this psalm, he asks God to do something specific. So, in what we read, teach me, O Lord. He wants God to be his teacher, and he believes that God is, can be, will be his teacher. And we could look at all of the questions, the the things that he asks God to do, and consider how this shows his understanding of God. That is a study worthy of consideration, and I commend it to you. There are still a couple of copies of Psalm 119 out on the Bible, or I'm sorry, out on the table, out in the foyer. Grab one of those on your way out. We, again, we can make more. And mark it up this week. What does the psalmist ask God to do, and what does this tell us about who God is. There is a treasure trove of insight in that kind of study. But instead, what we want to do this morning, what I want to do for just a few moments, maybe more than a few, is I want us to consider what the psalmist actually says about who God is. What does he say about God in his praying, in his talking to God, and what does he say about how we are to respond 
to God. What does he say about who God is, and what does he say about the right, proper response to the one true and living God? Because here, in these observations, we have a rich picture of who it is that this psalmist approaches and who it is that we approach in prayer and to whom we are to commit ourselves in doing His Word. First of all, who is the Lord of Psalm 119? Well, He is the God who reveals Himself. He's the God who reveals Himself. As we talked about last week, one of the central features of Psalm 119 is the richness of words that are used throughout this psalm to refer to God's Word. Again, verses 33 and following. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Give me understanding that I may keep your law. Lead me in the path of your commandments. All of these words that refer in one way or another to God's Word. And friends, by these words, yes, by His commandments, by His statutes, His precepts, He reveals not only what He expects and wants of His creatures, He reveals Himself and His character. The God whom we approach in prayer is not a deistic God removed from the universe and only who shows up when there's a crisis and we need His help. No, friend, He is the God who has revealed Himself. He is the God who revealed Himself to Abram who said, go to a land that I will show you and I will make you a blessing to all people. He is the God who has revealed Himself to Moses in the burning bush. He is the God as the writer of the Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 1, God showed Himself, revealed Himself to the prophets and to the fathers in many ways. But now, but now, He has revealed Himself in His Son. When we pray to the God of Psalm 119, we are praying to the one true and living God who has revealed Himself. When we commit to do His Word, we are committing to do the Word of the one and only God who is and the one and only God who has revealed Himself gloriously in His Word and spectacularly in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the Lord of Psalm 119? He is the Lord who teaches. He's the Lord who teaches. Look at verse 102. Verse 102. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. God, you have taught me. You have taught me your word. You have given me insight into your word. You are my teacher. Who is the God to whom he prays to teach him? Remember 119 verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, your statutes. He is the God who has taught the psalmist in the past. He is the God who will continue to teach 
especially about himself. When we pray to God, we are praying to the God who teaches by his word about who he is and what he wants of us. When we pray to the God of Psalm 119, to whom are we praying? We are, pr- we are praying and committing ourselves to none other than the creator and the sustainer of the universe. Notice verses 90 and 91. 90 and 91. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth. There's the creator, and it stands fast. By your appointment, he sustains creation. They stand this day, for all things are your servants. When we pray to the God of Psalm 119, we pray to the God who is the creator and sustainer of all things. When we are committing ourselves to walk in his ways, we are committing ourselves to walk in the ways of the creator and the one who has given you today and given me today life and breath. Who is the God of Psalm 119? He is the God who is all-seeing and all-knowing. Look at verse 168. Verse 168. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. All my ways are in front of you. What I do, God, you know them. You see them. As we read elsewhere, before a word is on my tongue, you know it, O Lord. Psalm 1 39. Who is the God to whom the psalmist prays? And we pray when we pray in faith. It is the God who sees and knows all things. He is the God who is present. Verse 151. He is the God who is not distant, but the God who acts. Go to verse 126. Verse 126. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. The psalmist sees a problem. God's word has been broken, and it's time for God to respond, for God to act. The God to whom he prays and the God to whom he commits his ways is the God who acts. He's the God who protects. He's the God who is good. He's the God who does good. Notice verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. When he prays, teach me your statutes. Teach me your ways, the way of your word. He's not praying to a God who is wicked. He's not praying to a God to whom he can't be certain if this God's ways are really good or right. No, he prays in full confidence that God, you are good and you do good. Therefore, show me your good way. Teach me. The God to whom he prays is the God who is just and righteous. Notice verse 40. And for many of these, there are lots more verses that we're not touching on. Some of them I haven't even referenced verses. If you, wanna, if you want the list that I have here for my study, I'd be happy to send it to you. Just shoot me an email, greg at rbctoday.com, and I'll be happy to share with you the observations about just 
who this God is to whom this psalmist prays. He is the God who is just and righteous. Verse 40, Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness, in your right ways, in your perfections. Give me life. He is the God who is good, who does good, who is righteous and does what is righteous and just. He is the God who is to be obeyed. Notice verse 4. Verse 4. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. You've given your words and you've given them so that they would be kept, so that they would be obeyed. This is the God who has revealed himself. He is the God who is to be obeyed. He is the God against whom we should not sin. He is the God who corrects his people. He is the God who judges evil. He is the God who is worthy of our praise. Notice verse 108. Verse 108. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. He is the God who is worthy of holy, reverent fear. He is the God who is worthy of our love and affection. He is the God who is to be remembered. Notice verse 55. This is the verse that's on the front of your bulletin this morning. I remember your name, your identity, your character. In the night, O Lord, I keep your law. I remember who you are. God is the God who is to be remembered. He is the God who is Lord and Master. We are His servants. He is the God who blesses, who does well with His people. He is the God who is to be sought. Verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. He is the God who hears he is the God who answers. Verse 28, my soul melts away. I'm sorry, verse 26. Verse 26, when I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. God is the God who answers the prayers of his people. He is the God who enlarges and guides our hearts. He is the God who satisfies Verse 57, the Lord is my portion. He is my reward. He is my delight. He is my treasure. This God is the God who is faithful. Verse 90, verse 90, your faithfulness endures to all generations. We read this verse just a moment ago regarding his creation, but he is the God who is faithful and his faithfulness endures. He is the God who is merciful. Verse 77, the God who is merciful. Let your mercy come to me that I may live. When he prays that God is the merciful God, this is a pointer to the fact that God is kind to the hurting. And God is kind to the hurting, particularly to the hurting who are undeserving. He is the God who is merciful. He is the God who comforts. He is the God who can be trusted. Verse 49 Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. 
Where is trust? You don't hear the word trust in there. That word hope. It is confident assurance that God will do what He said He will do. And here He says, You are the God, and in you, you have made me hope. You are the one who can be trusted. You are the giver of life. Psalm 119, verse 93. Notice verse 93. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Listen to who this God is. He is the God, as the psalmist prays, teach me, guide me, O Lord, and I will do your word here who this God is, to whom the psalmist prays. He is the God who reveals Himself. He is the God who teaches, the God who creates and sustains, the one who is all-seeing, all-knowing, the one who is present, the one who acts, the one who protects, the one who is good and does good, the one who is just and righteous, the God who is to be obeyed, the one against whom we should not sin, the one who corrects His people, the one who judges evil, the one who is worthy of our praise, of our fear, of our love, the one who is to be remembered, the one who is Lord over everything. We are His servants, the God who blesses, who does well with His people, the God who is to be sought, the God who hears, the God who answers, the God who enlarges and guides our hearts, the God who sustains, who is faithful, who is merciful, who comforts, who can be trusted, who gives life. This is the God to whom he prays, and this is the one to whom we are to pray and to commit ourselves. But friends, God is more than all of these glorious things, because he is also the Savior. He is the Savior. Notice verse 41. Verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. He is the God who saves. Yes, in His providence and in His wisdom and in accordance with His will, He can and does save and rescue from time to time out of hardship in this life. But the picture here is not just of, and even primarily, salvation out of life's difficulties. This is the God who saves for all eternity. This is the God who saves His people from their sin. Have you heard that? before this is the God who conveys his steadfast love verse 41 let your steadfast love come to me O Lord verse 64 the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Verse 66, let your steadfast love comfort me. Verse 88, in your steadfast love, give me life. Verse 124, 
Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. Verse 149, hear my voice according to your steadfast love. Verse 159, consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. What is the big deal of God's steadfast love? Friends, the big deal of God's steadfast love as the psalmist cries out to his creator He is not only his creator, he is not only the God who acts, but he is the God with whom he is in covenant relationship, who has made commitments that he will be faithful to fulfill. And when he speaks of God's steadfast love over and over and over, at least in part, what he is declaring to God and what he is remembering is that this is a God who has made commitments, who has made covenant commitments to his people, and he will keep them to the end. And these covenant commitments, oh, if we had time to explore all of the covenant commitments that God had made to his people, but here, one of them Exodus 34, 6 through 7. The Lord passed before him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Part of no small part of the covenant commitment that God makes with His people and is associated closely with His steadfast love is His covenant commitment to forgive the sins of His people. And this is where we see the critical observation, if we are going to pray to God the way that the psalmist does, if we are going to commit ourselves to God the way in which the psalmist does, it is not enough for us to see and know that God is good and does good. It is not enough for us to know that He is the God who creates and sustains. It is not enough for us to know that He is a God who is kind and merciful. It is not enough for us to know that He is a God who is just. Friends, we have to know that He is the God who saves. But not just that He is generally the God who saves. We have to know that He is the God who has saved us in Christ. Otherwise, we will not pray to God this way and we will not commit ourselves to live in submission to this God. The key to praying and doing God's Word in 2023 and in every year that ever comes on the calendar is a right view of God and confidence that you are in right relationship with Him. The Puritan Walter Marshall in his book, Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, suggests that there are four qualifications. There are four qualifications that must be met in the life of any individual before they will strive to follow God through His Word. 
And all of them are important, but I think the second is the most important. Marshall writes in in revised modern-day English, you have to be assured that you are forgiven and reconciled to God. You have to be totally assured that you are reconciled to God and accepted by Him. You have to be absolutely sure that the chasm sin has caused between you and God has been completely filled and that you are now totally under His love and favor. Because if you don't know that you are in right relationship with God, your guilty conscience will not gladly and willfully submit to God and His Word. You will chafe. You will resist. You will set yourself over and against God if you do not think that He has your best interest in mind. If you think and you, in your heart of hearts you know that you are an enemy of God resisting Him and not trusting him. If you are not in right relationship with God, you will not pray to this God and you will not commit yourself to walk in his ways. But if you know, if you know the love and forgiveness, the steadfast love of God in Christ, if you have been forgiven of your sin, through faith in Christ, because of what Christ has done, if you have assurance by faith in Christ that you are His and nothing can take you out of His hand, friend, this is the God to whom we pray. Teach me, O Lord, and the God who has rescued us from our sin, by the blood of the eternal covenant, by the blood of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one to whom we can say with gladness and confidence that He is good and He does good. Teach me Your way and I will walk in them. I do not want to walk in my way. I want to walk in Your way. Because you have shown me your goodness. You have shown me your kindness. You have shown me your mercy in Christ. Teach me your way, and I will walk in it. Friend, do you have confidence this morning that you are in right relationship with God? The hymn, the solid rock, puts it this way. I will not trust the sweetest frame. It's not an engineer building some sort of bridge truss or building frame that looks real nice and has cool colors. No, when he says, I will not trust the sweetest frame, what he means is, I won't trust a pleasant state of mind. I won't put my hope in the fact that I think because in my mind I think everything is okay with God, then everything is okay with God. I will not trust in sweet thoughts about God and sweet feelings that I have and thoughts that I have that I am in right relationship with God. I will not trust in my sweet frame of mind. But how does the hymn go on? I will not trust in the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ 
the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Friend, are you standing today on the solid rock of Christ? Can you declare with confidence, in Christ alone my hope is found? If not, will you go to Christ even now? I would love to talk to you after the service or this week about how you can personally know the steadfast love of God in Christ. But if you know Christ and your confidence is in Him, let us continue this week praying, God, teach me Your Word. Teach me Your ways. And I will do them. I will walk in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You that You want so much more for us than what is captured by the moralistic, therapeutic view of who You are. We praise You, Father, that You are not the God of deism, the God who is far removed who simply set the world in motion and has no substantial interaction with it in an ongoing way, but You are the God who has revealed Himself. You are the God who acts, who preserves, who sustains. You are the God who has sent Your one and only Son to save His people from their sin. Father, we praise You this morning. We praise You for how You have revealed Your character throughout this psalm and throughout the entirety of Your Word. We pray, Father, for Your help, for Your empowerment to continue to seek You, to pray to You after the model that the psalmist and the Scriptures set for us. And we pray, Father, for Your help to do Your Word. Father, we pray if there are any here today who do not know Christ by faith. Father, we pray that they would surrender themselves to the saving, reigning, risen Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.